0: Bluff down by Chara, stolen away by Bailey. Marcel driving on goal, he scores!
1: Bailey makes the play, Marcel scores the game title.
2: Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the Can't Kill the Bees edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review, or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, Gotham Sports Network's James Duffy will join us. James is back from Prague and wants everyone to know he is not the reason for the team's recent struggles at home. We'll talk to James about the trade deadline targets, Ilya Sorokin rumors, the impact of the Adam Palich injury, and more. But first, the Islanders fall 3-2 to the Boston Bruins in overtime on Saturday night in Brooklyn. Now, this was their first point against Boston in nine home games, but they have still not beaten the Bruins in any New York arena since 2013. Uh, You also may recall that when the Islanders beat the Bruins 3-2 in a shootout up in Boston back on December 19th, that snapped a seven-game overall losing streak to the Bruins. So, all in all, progress. A good crowd at the Bark, over 14,000 in attendance, although too many were wearing yellow and black as usual when the Islanders played the Boston Bruins, but also just a great job by everyone. It sounded like there were a lot of train troubles and changes in schedules and extra trains not being available, yet uh, everyone still made it out uh, from Long Island to Brooklyn for the start of the game, and as a result, you got to see Ralph Macchio in attendance. He was there uh, firing t-shirts into the stands. Um, Islanders jumped on the board, one nothing, as part of a dominating first period in this game. Scott Mayfield's wrister uh, beat Tuga Rask. Mayfield's fifth goal of the season, most of his career. Mayfield was involved in a lot of big moments in this game overall, uh, but he has shown a scoring touch and has developed, uh, you know, into a, a very solid, dependable defenseman uh, for the Islanders. And I think he's proved me wrong. I, I thought of him as more as a bottom pair extra defenseman type guy even when they signed him uh, to that extension that uh, very team-friendly extension now that when you look at that contract uh, he's been real good and has shown that he can he can play extra minutes especially in light of the um, Adam Pelich injury uh, his five goals is now second amongst defensemen on the team only Ryan Pulak has more who has six here was Scott Mayfield talking about the team's performance going up against the Boston Bruins after the game
1: so we did well. Um, a lot of their shots were to the outside. You know, they, they're really good. Um, you know, They had that wraparound. I can think of that one. There were a couple other ones where they did get in the interior and Barley came up big. So, you know, they have a lot of firepower. But those guys have a lot of points. Um, you know, Sean making that move in overtime. They're good players. You just got to stay hard on them, and we did a pretty good job.
2: And MSG Networks, during the game, uh, posted a graphic that showed the amount of minutes uh, the defensemen are playing after the Adam Palich injury. Prior to the Pelich injury, only he and Pulak were playing uh, in excess of 20 minutes a game. Now, after the injury, four Islander defensemen are averaging around 20 minutes a game. Most notably, Nick Letty, who's... uh, really been stepping up in terms of how often he's out on the ice. Granted, the Islanders are playing some overtime games, so maybe that factors in a little bit to these statistics. But the truth of the matter is is that they're still very much picking and choosing when and how to play Noah Dobson. He's averaging 11, 12, 13 minutes a night. And as a result, you're going to have you know three, four players uh, approaching that 20-minute mark uh, night in and night out. Certainly something to watch as the season progresses as we get into February, uh, March, and early April. Um, The Islanders had 14 shots, a little over midway in the first period of this game, Um, but then after failing to register a shot on a power play opportunity, they didn't have another shot for the rest of the first period. Uh, Still outshot Boston 14-5 in that first, but I think you had the feeling where the fact that they they weren't up more going into the second period would, would come back to bite them a little bit and uh, Boston would be able to tie the game at 8.43 of the second period. Jake debrust tying the game up. A bit of a fluky goal as it took an odd bounce. Off Scott Mayfield went into the air and beat Semyon Varlamov. There was also the question of whether or not there was goalie interference on this play as it appeared Nick Letty was pushed into the left pad of Varlamov. Ultimately, Barry Trotz and his staff looked at the replay, took some time, and decided not to risk the challenge. Probably a big part of that was of how good the Boston Bruins power play is you don't want to you know give them even more momentum after tying the game and giving them an extra 2 minutes so they decide you know on a 50-50 type chance maybe not to not to challenge uh for goalie interference. The game remained 1-1 as we headed into the third period where defenseman John Moore uh slid a shot from the point, puck was in the air for about a millisecond then just glided through some skates and and beat Varlamov into the corner of the net uh, to give Boston a 2-1 lead. But, you know, a really good sign for the Islanders because now in back-to-back games like they did in New Jersey, they respond to tie the game. Uh, Josh Bailey with a perfect feed to a darting Matt Barzell who goes five-hole on Rass to tie the game up at two. Uh, Zdeno Chara tried to knock the puck down at the blue line uh, but really wasn't able to gather it. Uh, Bailey picked it up. It looked like originally he was going to take a shot but then uh, noticed Barzell and, and made a great pass. Um, to Barzi to bury it and tie the game up at two. Islanders had a great opportunity to take the lead later on in this period. Again, Barzel right in the middle of things, uh, fed a beautiful pass to Anthony Beauvillier, who was in all alone on Rask, but was denied. And uh, Beauvillier has really been struggling to score as of late. He now has just one goal in his last 18, and, Uh, You recall, I think he had, you know, a couple games in a row where he had two goals and he was up to 10 goals, uh, you know, before the 25-30 game mark. And it looked like, you know, he was on pace to be a 25-goal-plus type scorer. And um, unfortunately, we're seeing a little bit more of an inconsistency with him being able to put the puck in the net. and, And Josh Bailey as well. This whole line had been struggling to score goals. Bailey just has one goal in his last 24 games. And Barzell's goal actually snapped a seven-game goalless streak for him as well. So it'll be interesting to see how much longer uh, Barry Trotz sticks with that line of Beauvillier, Barzell, and Bailey uh, when all three guys are kind of fighting it a little bit in terms of putting the puck into the net. Uh, So then we go to overtime, the game tied at 2 um, where the Islanders have been so good this season, seven overtime wins already on the year. MSG actually did a montage during one of the intermissions of all the overtime winners. Um, but early in this extra session, Brad Marchant uh, makes a spin move on Brock Nelson, who sticks out the left leg a little bit and gets called for tripping. Some fans on Twitter, um, certainly in the stands, uh, felt like it should not have been a penalty Uh in, in due part because the referees had really swallowed the whistle, uh, throughout this game. I think, you know, Brendan Burke, even at one point, um, uh, you know, stated that, uh, you know, this referee, the refereeing crew was taking, letting them play to a level on its own, uh, during this game. They really weren't calling anything, but they do call that penalty in overtime. And I think on its merits, it, it was indeed an, 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 uh, a valid penalty. And that leads to the Patrice Bergeron goal. Um, Left really all alone in the slots. um, Had some time and really ripped one over the shoulder of Olamov. A bit of a perfect shot to give the Bruins a 3-2 win. Uh, The penalties, or lack thereof, in this this game was definitely a theme throughout. I think Islander fans were frustrated with the referees even before the call in overtime. And uh, this has just been part of a longer frustration for the team that just... Can't seem to get power play opportunities. They've now had two power play attempts or fewer in a club record nine straight games. Uh, the league records on attempts date back to the late 70s, according to Eric Hornick, and the league record for having two power play attempts or fewer is 12, set by the 1979 1980 Hartford Whalers. Uh, I don't know if you can pin to you know, obviously, the idea of the Islanders not having as many dynamic offensive players to create those type of penalties is part of this, but it should never be this low. Um, you know, I think their attitude right now in the room is just hoping that it, it evens out at some point. But you know, you know, so much was made of Jim Hiller coming on board and trying to correct the power play. It's you know, you can practice it as much as you want, and I know the Islanders had a number of practices during their three days off, um, but uh, you still have to have opportunities in the game if you're going to be able to. Uh, really solidify yourself as a as a top power play unit in this league barry trotz uh, frustrated by the lack of power play opportunities the team has been getting but satisfied with their five on five play and overall performance against one of the league's best
1: you know we haven't had very many power plays so we have to rely on our five on five that's such a you know we did last year and you know it's just you know things will sort out, and we'll get a few more. But I thought tonight our five and five play. I mean, we did a lot of good things. I thought in the first period uh, we really played well. We could have been up more than a, more than a goal. It's just coming kind of a little hard for us. Um, I thought we we dictated play, especially in the first. I thought we were good. I and even in the second period we had lots of chances in the second and couldn't get that second one. And and uh, I, I think I looked up the scoreboard. I think there was like five. Five forty-five or something like that on the clock. They only had eleven shots, and I'm going, "This, and we're playing okay, you know." Because uh, Boston's pretty dangerous. They got a couple couple lines that are dangerous, and they forecheck well. I thought we created in the in the offenses only had some good looks, and Rask was up for the uh, up to the task. I thought uh, we had lots of net presence. We took pucks. We 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 you know we we had chaos around their net. Uh, that's what they do very well. Uh, And then you know, I I thought we showed good resiliency when they uh, they took the lead. We were able to get a get it tied up. And then you know, anything can happen in in uh, overtime, and it did. Obviously, uh, we duplicated a little bit on the on that entry on the on the power play, and therefore Bergeron uh, you know standing in the middle there.
2: So the Islanders get a point against the team with the second best record in the NHL, and now have five points in their last three games. The one nothing shutout against the Colorado Avalanche. The 4-3 Four three victory over the New Jersey Devils in overtime on the Anders Lee goal, and now a overtime loss to the Boston Bruins. And you know, looking ahead of the schedule now for the Islanders before the All Star break, they have six games: three of them against the New York Rangers, uh, one against the Detroit Red Wings on a second half of a back to back, and then games against the Washington Capitals and Carolina Hurricanes. Um, you know, two teams that uh, they don't always have great success against, especially Carolina. I'm real interested to see how they play in that game. And uh, Neil Best in Newsday wrote about this um, after the game, that Barry Trotz met with reporters uh, prior to the game and uh, talked about, you know, why this team has been successful against the top teams in the league and why they have struggled against some of the the bottom teams. And uh, Trotz basically said that the team is more diligent against the top offenses in the league and that, they have a better understanding of what they're trying to do and as a result they commit to what they need to do to stop them and that there's a overall respect factor for what those high powered teams can do and you know as a result again the team is more diligent and more predictable, more structured in their ways. Whereas when they face some of the lesser opponents in the league, they tend to be, you know, quote, looser in how they play and that there's a a tendency to quote, thinking we can be more powerful than them, if you will, offensively and it's just worked against us. So real interesting with three games coming up against the Rangers, a game against the Red Wings, a game against Carolina, a team they've struggled against that is also looking ahead, of, looking up at them in the standings. How will the Islanders perform in those games, or will they once again allow some points to squeak through? Which, you know, overall, you look at them and you look at what their pace is. They're on a pace of 100, 608 points. That's all great. But looking back at the last month or so, how many points have they let go against teams that they are better than and that they know that they can beat, provided they just stick with their with their game plan and approach it with the same diligence and mindset as they do against some of the better opponents in the NHL. We'll take a break. When we come back, Gotham Sports Network's James Duffy will join us. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports,
1: media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal.
2: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. Joe Bono, PC Isles, Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network, and joined now by our familiar voice, our former co-host here at PT Isles, Mr. James Duffy. James, how are you?
0: Joe, not so bad. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's good to be back.
2: So for those that don't know, James uh, had spent the first half of the Islanders' season in Prague uh, doing a a program, uh, studying there for a semester, Um, and now he's back, and the Islanders' uh, home uh, winning streak abruptly ended uh, upon your return pretty much.
0: Yeah, so they have pretty much been significantly worse since I got back. So I'm, I'm really considering flying back to Europe because it seems <laughs> like that's the direct correlation there.
2: So how did you uh, follow the team um, while 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 in Prague? Hopefully not just relying on us crazies on uh, IELTS Twitter. Was there other methods to actually uh, watch and follow what was going on?
0: Uh, I mean, you guys definitely helped. There was a lot of uh, illegal Reddit streams at 1 a.m. because uh, the six-hour time <laughs> difference really sneaks up on you when you're trying to watch 7 p.m. hockey games, so. That made it difficult.
2: So those that are new to James, he writes for Gotham Sports Network, and he does a weekly column called Isle's Ice Chips, uh, where you can join him while he rambles uh, semi-coherently about his takeaways on the Islanders. <laughs> those are his words, not mine. Um, so, uh, you know, James, uh, Islanders now five points in their last three games definitely played well enough to probably pick up two points against the Bruins, but uh, Rask was very good as he tends to always be against the Islanders. But then really the same fundamental problem is there uh, is that the team just, just does not have enough finishers. And there's just the same literally handful of players that you're counting on to score goals. And everyone else It's not even just a matter of the bottom six. There are others in the top six too that are just not performing the way they need to be offensively.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a big problem, obviously, when you have guys like Anders Lee or Jordan Everly who are not performing the way that you're paying them to, really. Um, and, and it seems like both of those guys are more just in unfortunate slumps than actually regressing in any way. Like, they're both shooting career lows, which is unbelievably unlucky that that's happening at the exact same time for a 40-game stretch here. But you kind of got to roll the dice there and, and take what you have, because right now, you think we need a trade, but it's hard to see Lamarillo making a move, so at some point you'd need the guys in the room to start producing again.
2: Yeah, Eberle and Andrews Lee obviously stand out, and big expectations with both of them being re-signed. Um, But then you look at uh, Anthony Beauvillier, who's in a big slump, one goal in his last 18 Mm -hmm. games. Josh Bailey, one goal in his last 24 games, it is. Um, And then, you know, you're really relying on, people like Brock Nelson, who's been more of a pleasant surprise in terms of his offensive output this season. I uh, look like he might be on pace uh, to 30 goals, might've slowed down just a bit, but you know, just all in all, you know, you're going to look at the bottom six. You're going to look at what you're not getting from Leo Komarov still looking for a goal this season. Uh, Derek Brassard, after one, just brief spurt as, has, has kind of gotten quiet again, and he does not really have the help on that third line. And then the fourth line, just in, in some ways, obviously isn't what it's, supposed to be with Cal Clutterbuck in the lineup, but that's sometimes where you're getting your big contributions. It's goals from Tom Kunako and guys like Casey Sizekis. It's um you know, you mentioned what can Lou do. I feel like there really, really isn't an option if he's serious about contending this year. They need to bring someone else that can score twenty, twenty five goals.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think the third line is the biggest problem because the Islanders have success under trots when they can roll four lines and they clearly have not been able to do that, whether it's cycling in Broussard, who's no longer cutting it as a third line center and it has to play wing really, whether it was Otto Koivula or Oliver Wallstrom or Cole Bardreau. I mean, it's been a rotating cast of guys on the third line and no one's producing in a way that makes trots comfortable consistently giving them 12, 15 minutes a night, which that makes a big difference because it's, it's the way they win games. And, Right now it's not working out, but Cases Zizekas on the fourth line has been really one of the linchpins of this team. Without him, I mean, I can't imagine what the season would look like right now.
2: James Duffy, Gotham Sports Network, is our guest at 2 Turtle Duffs on Twitter. And let's talk about some of the trade targets that uh, people are at least writing about. And uh, the one that stands out that looks like to me a perfect fit is Tyler Safoli with the L.A. Kings, going to be an unrestricted free agent after the season. So this is a rental-type situation athletic About uh, projections as to what it would take to get him. Talked about a second round pick and a prospect. Uh, to me, that's the type of target that uh, Luke can't let go somewhere else. Someone that right now is playing on a top line with the Kings, has offensive punch, and can fill that third center void.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree. I think he is the perfect fit, um, but it's hard to see the Islanders actually landing him because of the fact that he right now, in a small trade year, is the biggest name on the market with Taylor Hall already gone. So, You're looking at the Islanders, at least with maybe the Bruins, potentially the Canes. Uh, Most of the top guns in the Eastern Conference are going to be looking to add a scorer like Tyler Toffoli, so it's hard to see the Islanders winning a full-on bidding war, but if the price is actually not a first-round pick and not an a list prospect, then they have to at the very least be in on it because he's the kind of guy that can solidify a third line and give you a team that can actually compete this year. I think they need two forwards, but Toffoli's a good start.
2: And you and I talked about this a lot last year on, on the show about the decision to not make a trade ultimately and help this team mm-hmm. down the stretch. And our feeling was that this team it kind of surprised even Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo in terms of where right. they were positioned for the postseason. And it was not worth giving up the assets for a team that they were still you know building towards something. But I feel differently, and now it's the second consecutive year where they're on pace for 100-plus wins. They did advance into the second round of the playoffs last year, and you look up and down the roster, outside of a couple players, it's not a young team, right? When you're going to re-sign Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle and bring back Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey on his contract, and and we know Casey and and Clutterbuck, it's not a a young team where you're just going to wait year after year while it slowly builds in a lot of ways, the roster is a now team, and I think you need to reward the guys in the room to say that you're serious about um, trying to advance beyond where you did last year and give them some help. I I don't think the same thinking uh, should apply from last year to this.
0: Yeah, I think you're totally right. We talked about it a lot, where last year was obviously not a fluke, but there was a small enough sample size where it's understandable to not cash out any part of your future for a year that you're not really sure what the hell is going on, because I don't think anybody was with the Islanders last year, but now it's clear this is replicable success that they can actually keep consistent under trots with a less than stellar roster. I mean, honestly, they have one of the 10 least talented rosters in the league yet they're one of the five best teams. And I think even a small infusion talking about, you know, a guy like Toffoli, even under that, you know, guys that can put up 40 points a year as opposed to 20, that's a massive difference when you're cycling out Leo Komarov, Michael Dalcol, Ross Johnston for actual capable NHL players. And, that's not a knock. It's just the fact that they, they can't handle the role they have right now, which is uh, – it, it's unfortunate.
2: Now, the strength of this team continues to be the goaltending and the defense. Of course, the defense was given a tough blow with the Adam Palich freak injury playing uh, two-touch soccer, uh, we believe, uh, before the game. Uh, c- contributing to that Achilles injury, and, and the result right now is that uh, you know new, Noah Dobson's in the top six, only playing about 11, 12, 13 minutes a night. Um, but uh, if you were worried about uh, him not playing and stunting his de- his development, that's out the door right now. Um, how do you think the rest of this lineup's going to be holding up though? Because everyone's kind of stepping up now, going to have more players uh, on that blue line playing about 20 or so minutes. Do you think? the blue line, you know, stay-at-home type defenseman is something else they may look at here and and, and understand there's so much focus on the forward group, but mm-hmm. could you see a scenario where they bring in another defenseman just to kind of solidify uh, the top six and have that extra guy? Because they're one injury away from, you know, going down to Bridgeport for some help.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I think that'd be a mistake. Um, you know, they did show willingness to call up Sebastian Ajo, even though he was then sent back down to get more reps in Bridgeport. Uh, Thomas Hickey is hurt, but When he gets healthy, that's a very, very strong seventh defenseman to have on any team. Um, I think the defense depth is it's alarming because, like you said, you know, one injury and then there's a real situation there where Johnny Boychuk, a guy is a guy that misses 10 games a year pretty much every year, and he's played every game so far this season. So you have to, at some point, account for maybe Boychuk misses a few games. Maybe Mayfield misses five here, and that would cause a serious problem for the Islanders. But I think Dobson settled in well now. I, I think that Trotz and Lambert, and then obviously the goaltending from Greco and corn they're, they're good enough on the back end with almost anybody there. I mean, if you went to the start of last season and, and talked about Adam Pellick being a massive loss on defense when he got hurt, I mean, that wouldn't really ring, ring bells for people that watched him his first couple years with the Isles. They can do a lot with a little on the back end, and that's shown so far, so I really don't have a doubt that what they're currently working with will be enough down the road if they don't make a trade.
2: Joe Bono, PT Isles chatting with James Duffy of Gotham Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter at Two Turtle Duffs. It'll be be worth it. Now we had a little fun on Twitter uh, last week. There was an incarcerated Bob uh, rumor, which sometimes is true, sometimes is not, about Lou taking talks from Western conference teams about Ilya Sorokin. Not the first time anyone has alluded to these type of rumors. Remember Elliot Freeman and his 31 thoughts talked about uh, potential for Sorokin to still remain in the KHL, that it was not a done deal that he would be coming to North America last year. And then I kind of put out just the hypothetical question of, you know, what would fans think if the Islanders decided to trade Sorokin as an asset from a strength, which is their coaching around goaltending uh, to help, some of the glaring weaknesses they have, that being, of course, uh, some much-needed pop in the in the top six. What are, you, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. When, when, I, when you tweeted that, I thought about it for a long time, because there's really so much that goes into it. Because, you know, first of all, like you said, you, you might be dealing from a strength, and you can feel a little bit confident that no matter who you put in goal, you're going to get league average or better goaltending. I mean, you've seen Robin Leonard and Semyon Varlamov, two guys who were coming off subpar years statistically that have turned into some of the better goalies in the league from the Islanders. So you wonder, do we need Sorokin? Can someone else fill that pretty well? But at the, same, at the same time, you wonder, if Sorokin's as good as Bill and he comes to this system with Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz, are you getting one of the top five goaltenders in the world for a decade? So it's, there's so many moving pieces. You wonder if he can even pull a return right now that's worthwhile outside of a handful of picks without any NHL games played. It's it's tough. I think I personally would not trade Sorokin under any circumstance because of the idea that you can have an elite goaltender for a long, long time and because I don't think he'll net you much right now. That's just my take.
2: You know, it was really interesting to see the um, kind of varying thoughts from Islander fans when I put that out there. Something like, yep, yeah, when in a heartbeat, I do it for the right trade. I don't think a rental is the right scenario. I don't think anyone was – Thinking in that terms, but if there was a player with a little bit of term, like a Kyle Palmieri, for example, that could be could be had Mm. uh, for for trading someone like Sorokin if he is viewed the way a lot of people tend to view them, and that was the response on the other end of this, where people were saying, "No, he's untouchable." You know, would you trade Martin to Brodeur? You know, and it's like we really don't know that. And the KHL stats are what they are, and listen, they're very, very good for him. But there's a lot of goalies that that have stats in the KHL that make your eyes open up. It's just not the same kind of league as the NHL, and the whole situation is is going to be fascinating. Because let's say he does even come over to North America next year, I think it's quite clear he's not going to want to, you know, be in Bridgeport for a while, like the Rangers situation has been, right? Um, with Igor that uh, he's going to play there for a while and then wait his turn. He wants to come here and start playing in the NHL right away. And um, certainly there's an expectation that there will be a roster spot with him with Thomas Grice being an unrestricted free agent. But, you know, another thing to factor in here, he's played this to where he's only going to play about one year on an entry-level contract and then expect to get paid. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of questions that that need to be answered uh, to see how this all unfolds between the Islanders and Sorokin.
0: Yeah, exactly. You have to wonder then too when he comes over if he has this amazing KHL track record, which, like you said, is you know kind of iffy because Mikko Koskinen was a 9.30 goaltender in the K. So, you know, obviously Sorokin is legit, but you really don't know how exactly that translates yet. So, let's say he comes over and has a stellar first year, splitting starts with Varlamov, gets maybe 35, 37 starts, and is amazing. What kind of contract does he get? You know, he's a restricted free agent. Uh, does he get Uh, some kind of bridge deal. Does he try to cash in and get his first big money NHL contract? It's almost impossible to predict because it's very unprecedented where someone is this highly touted this age and not yet in the league. Uh, He's a 24 year old. He was drafted six years ago now. So, I mean, it's a long time coming and there's a lot riding on, on how good or bad Ilya Sorokin will actually end up being in the NHL.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, until we got clarity around what his exact contract status would be, I think a lot of us thought, you know, the benefit of having him over was that your, you know, your goaltending overall would be relatively cheap and allowed you and afford mm-hmm. you uh, to spend that money elsewhere across the roster. But with Varlamov's contract making around $6 million a year and then whatever his demands may be uh, to ensure that he comes over and plays in North America, all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, probably around $9, 10000000 million a year your goaltending no matter what so right. the idea of it you know being a cheap c- scenario where it's um you know you have other other young goaltenders that make eight hundred thousand dollars and then you have another uh you know veteran that makes a little bit more that's not going to be the under situation they're pretty much with the volarmov contract locking themselves into having some good amount of money um you know earmarked for that goal for that goaltending position which you know, could hamstring them a lot, hamstring them a little bit with the pending contracts they have to give out to Ryan Pollock with Matt Barzell, Devin Tays, and others. Uh, so there, you know, we want to think that this team has the ability to go out and 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 go after another type of Panarin type player in, in future years. That that may not be the case.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, like you said, though they they were fully in, fully ready to give Panarin thirteen million dollars a year for the next seven years. So, you know then the official story was that they also always intended to sign Anders Lee, which means that there was a plan in place allegedly for this exact team plus a $13 million player. So it seems like if they really felt motivated to do that, they'd be able to, Um, I guess only time will tell, but it it is frustrating at times to see that Luke can have very creative ideas roster wise, but then very little gets done uh, progressively creatively in any ways that make the team better. So, I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, obviously, to have two very good goaltenders if Sorokin comes over and it's legit, but splitting $10 million between two goalies like that could be could hamstring them, obviously, when they already have so many gaps in other spots.
2: Yeah, I mean, right now, Grice is making, I think, $3.3 3, uh, million, yeah. right? So, I mean, like I said, their goaltending is, is not cheap, despite the fact that I don't think either one looks at Leonard— Leonard and and Grice and then now the combination of Allamav as and Grice as you know Bravovsky type contracts or Lunquist type contracts but you know they do have uh you know a 1 and a 1A and and you're going to you're going to pay for that type of scenario as well. Um mm. all right so right now the Islanders are actually sitting currently in third place in the metro. I don't think anyone's expected the Penguins to be as good as they've been especially with the injuries that they've had this year. Um, Where do you think this team nets out? I mean, it's kind of a strange scenario where, you know, you look at kind of the pace they're on, James, and they can beat and best out last year's pace, which would be the best record since the dynasty years, yet the Metro is just so packed, and now they've kind of let some points go against some lesser competition to where they find themselves going to be in a struggle to try to hold on to a position for home ice this year.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of terrifying and very frustrating that the Islanders are having one of the best seasons in franchise history. And are hardly cracking the top five of the Eastern Conference right now. Like it, the way that that Boston and Washington simply do not lose—at least not in regulation. If you're the Bruins, how the Penguins, with all their injuries piling up, are still basically unbeatable. The Lightning have now won, I believe, ten in a row, so they're now towards the top again. And the Islanders—it it almost feels somehow like they're in danger of slipping out. But logically, I almost just know that's not the case because they're on pace for 106 points. But it's a weird scenario where somehow this team is going to be incredible and you're still not going to feel comfortable that they can't even land home ice, let alone not fall into a wild card spot. I mean, Carolina's two points behind them. The, the way every team in the Metropolitan is playing right now is it's pretty scary for the Islanders because you don't you – you know how good you are, but I, I, I don't know if you can stack up when it comes to, you know, a, an arms race towards the end of the season for a last couple points.
2: And that's where this season has been strange to me is that uh, the 17-game point streak made you feel as if, okay, this is going to be one of those years where they're going to be a lock for the playoffs, and uh, you're going to be battling with Washington to try to win your first division in, right. um, you know, 30-plus years. The reality is because everyone's so bunched up, you know, a team that's right now eighth or ninth in the conference has a great week and you have a really bad week you're going to be neck and neck with them. And that's just the reality of it is with with the half a season to go. And you look at these games coming up now in the next week and a half before the All-Star break, they're playing the Rangers three times. And mm-hmm. uh, they're playing the Red Wings. But the Rangers are a type of team that they have not played well against this year, not only in terms of standings, but because they're an offensively-minded team. And uh, Islanders tend to, against these lesser opponents, want to go – you know, tick for tat against them, and try to see if they can, you know, win a five-four game for whatever reason, and get away from winning two-one games. So, you know, they, they, they've left too many points out there against some of the lesser opponents. And 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 looking by the schedule, games against the Red Wings and three against the Rangers, you want to come out with six out of eight at minimum. And if they don't, you know, they're going to be in a disappointed spot, I think, when the when the breaks happens.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that I have a lot of confidence in the fact that. You know, Like you said, if there's a bad week, uh, you could end up basically falling out of a spot. I don't think that's going to be a concern. The Islanders under Barry Trotz have never lost more than three games in a row, uh, in regulation at least, so they're almost always picking up points in any given week. Uh, I I really do think there's still a lock for the playoffs, even though it's kind of hard to make sense of that, considering how tight things are in the East. But uh, the problem really is that since the point streak ended, they've played pretty mediocre hockey. I think they're 11-8-3. Uh, so they're really just above 500. They're, they're playing okay, but not great. They've had a couple three-game losing streaks stuck in there. It hasn't been stellar. It's been pretty ugly. Like you said, they, they kind of they play down to their opponents. They've lost some bad games to bad teams. They've also played great against the Bruins twice. They, they had some really good wins against Vegas. I mean, the pieces are all still there, but it's hard to make heads or tails of this team right now because on any given night, you don't know if you're getting the world beating Islanders who can basically shut down the Avalanche to zero goals, the best offensive team in the league. They can just suffocate them. Or you're getting the Islanders that are going to get outskated by the Devils. You, you almost never know anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they listen, I don't want to sound the alarm bells like I like I mentioned, mm. um, you know, because they have a six point. Edge on the last playoff spot, they have some games in hand. When it comes to the Flyers and Blue Jackets, um, it just is interesting that uh, you didn't think that there might even be a scenario where this team would be in a, a wild card type type spot. Um, but right. uh, you know, unless they, you know, they can't continue playing the way they have in the last month and hold on to home ice, or maybe even the especially teams, not with everyone honest.
0: winning the way they are. Right. Yeah, no, you're and right.
2: They, and that's kind of what I'm. That's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, if they if they kind of slog along the way they are, they might still finish with 100 points um during the year but because of the way the rest of the division is that might be only good for a wild card and now you're putting yourselves in a position where you know it's a first round matchup against Washington or Boston and uh listen the way the season has gone maybe that'll be what maybe that would be a desired matchup but uh certainly not what um I think fans thought when when you know coming out of November you were right on the heels of Washington with games in hand and, and a soft schedule and and you really felt you had an opportunity to kind of stay neck and neck with them all year. And listen, they're only six games back. They have a game coming up. think can switch quickly, but you, know, you have less confidence down than you did maybe a
0: month and a half ago. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the next really, like you said, you got some easy games coming up on the schedule. It's not incredibly hard for the next few weeks. It's the next three games, Rangers, Red Wings, Rangers, and then you get the Caps at home. So you really have to think that those are some winnable games before you get your division rival, a team that you can still catch up to. I think the next few weeks, obviously, up until the trade deadline or make or break for this team, it'll it'll determine really where they stand. You know, are they the top tier up there with Washington and Tampa and Toronto, or are they a step down towards the pack with Carolina and and Philly? Time will tell, but we'll really see where this team stands coming up very soon, I think.
2: And, James, last one for me. Do you think we get a call-up at any point right now? The Islanders with another open roster spot, Arthur Staple, uh, thinking that maybe it's the ability to accrue some additional cap space is the reason why they're keeping that salad, that open roster spot available and not bringing up a keeper Bellows or someone else. Uh, do you feel do you feel that we see Bellows? Do we see Wallstrom again? You know, do we see some internal help coming from Bridgeport, um, or is it really rental or nothing for the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, I think right now what you have is what you get. I'm not very optimistic that they will make a trade, and I think at this point with a call up. If it hasn't happened yet, especially with Kiefer Bellows, what are you waiting for at this point in this season? I understand the idea that maybe your plan originally was not to rush a guy like Bellows to the league this year, but the offense is not cutting it. He is—he was on one of the hottest streaks of any player in the AHL. So, if if it wasn't during that goal streak where he scored, I think, 13 goals in 15 games, and the Islanders' offense had dried up, then when is he getting called up? So. I think with Wallstrom, they've kind of made their decision that he's going to stay down for the rest of the year to not burn a year off his entry-level contract, which I'm totally in support of. you got to keep your young players cheap as long as possible. I get that. Um, I, I think Andrew Ladd can make an impact up here, honestly, which I think might get some groans from the peanut gallery. But at this point, it looks like this is the roster that we're working with, and, uh, and that's kind of the way it's going to be, though.
2: James Duffy, Gotham Sports Network, at Two Turtle Duffs on Twitter. Look out for his semi-coherent column, Isles Ice <laughs> Chips, every single Monday at Gotham, gothamsn.com. James, always a pleasure talking to you, man. Hope to see you soon.
0: Joe, good to be back.
2: James Duffy, Gotham Sports Network. Great talking Islander hockey with him. He's worth the follow on Twitter. Very funny, very witty, and very knowledgeable, as you can tell from that interview. When we come back, a couple of final thoughts. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. <laughs> That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: We're back, but before we go, I wanted to thank everyone that showed up at Offside Tavern last Saturday night to support the Isles Buzz podcast and a live recording of Noel and Dan's show. I was very happy to be brought up on stage with Dan Saracini and do a little uh, panel for a while and you a know, really good turnout uh, amongst Islander fans that showed up early for that uh, live live podcast and as always a great crowded offsite tavern especially with the New York City meetup crew uh, for that game unfortunately not a lot to celebrate in the 3 nothing loss against the Toronto Maple Leafs but really enjoyed getting a chance to talk Islander hockey with a lot of you getting to meet some of you on a personal level shaking some hands and and talking hockey what's going right what's going wrong and, and what we're excited about and what we're nervous about as this season unfolds. So uh, thank you once again for everyone who came and and your continued support of this show and everything that we're trying to do over at Lighthouse Hockey. Um, A couple other notes, neither Semyon Varlamov or Brock Nelson going to the All-Star Game. I was a little surprised that Matt Murray got the nod over Varley, especially seemed like he's been building up momentum in the last couple of weeks, uh, the goalie tandem uh, and the rotation no longer happening. Him getting a string of starts and playing really well, um, but I guess he'll enjoy enjoy the rest. Um, and then Brock Nelson, always going to be a long shot to be the last one in, uh, considering the sizes of some of the fan bases uh, he was going up against in the Metro. Osh- T.J. Oshie gets the knot for the Metropolitan decision, but... Uh, you know, glad to see that Brock was even part of the discussion there, and I'm sure a lot of us did our everything we can in terms, uh, everything we could in terms of uh, getting all ten votes in for Brock, but um, it wasn't enough. But uh, I think as Brock Nelson uh, continues to be on uh, 45, 50, 55 point pace, um, that'll be plenty good enough for Islander fans. So that'll do it for this episode of PT Isles. A busy schedule for the Islanders uh, coming up, like we talked about, in a lot of the games in the New York area before the All-Star break. They are at MSG on Monday night to play the Rangers for the first time this season, host the Red Wings on Tuesday, and then an Islanders-Rangers game at the Coliseum on Thursday night, January 16th. Don't forget to follow at LHH Podcast for all the latest updates on PTILs and all of our other shows. We'll talk to you next week, Islanders Country. Good night.